Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Pulled up some thing, planks, and then went down in there. And I was like, what the fuck are you Holy doing? Shit. And he was like, he was like, I get, I get high down here. I drink down here and listen to music loud down here. And I was like, I mean, I'm like a little tiny kid. And I was like, that, that sounds worrisome to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll never forget this. I gave him like the sort of the standard, like, you know, the don't do drugs speech, but it didn't, didn't do any good at all. Anyhow, I was like, well, you know, basically like, like, what about your parents and what about school? And he was like, fuck those people. And I remember it so vividly. I was like, wait, what? Because first of all, I was like, this is a version of reality where you're just like, no, I'm just going to stop doing all the shit they tell me to do. Like not some of it. Like I'm out in the entire fucking project of being what people tell me to be. 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys. with the windfall we have been seeing here in the second season it's all about growth and expansion this is an american podcast that's right that's right so we are uh 50 years of music on the music city drive-in podcast network check out musiccitydrivein.com for all your podcasting needs in the world of movies music entertainment and at this time of year, fantasy football. <laughs> you should know that I relied on them heavily with my Patrick Mahomes auction pick. Oh, nice. Yeah, you had your draft. draft. You happy yeah. with your team? Yeah, I'm happy with my team. Uh, I think running backs are overrated, so I kind of ignored that particular position. I don't know much about fantasy football, but is that like saying Boston's not a big college town? <laughs> That's quite <laughs> Quite right, but okay. I wouldn't worry about it. It's not a college town. Uh, ben Barton, how are things in Knoxville? Bumping along, very nice. We have the right. tragic news. Oh no, oh. that Bonnaroo canceled. I cannot believe this. Yeah, my daughter Dale was like, "I'm physic. I was going to pick her up twelve thirty on Thursday and drive her to Bonnaroo. We were going to like spend the weekend together, and uh, Indy was going to come. And oh, so oh. now I will uh, just stay home. It'll be good." <laughs> i'm an elderly man that'll be fine but good for the (laughs) good for the good people of tennessee to recognize the dangers at this time in our country uh and and that covid 
Uh, the best way to stop it is to <laughs> stop. No luck, Timmy. It's apparently they've got like a foot of standing water, uh, multiple places on the farm. So they just could not, they couldn't accommodate the people. Jeff, Jeff, Ben said it wasn't COVID as much as a fear of a malaria outbreak because of all the standing water. Yeah, that's disgusting and accurate. Can you imagine? <laughs> I've been there and it is true. And the thing is that like having been there and seen the people who go there, they would be yeah. like, I could, I could put my tent in this foot of standing water. That'll I mean, be fine. You have to force people not to do that to themselves. Like, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. It, it would really be like Papillon by the end of the weekend. By the weekend. way, I mean, a foot oh, of standing God. water, that's why you have a tarp. That's what the tarp's for. Yeah, right? <laughs> Take care of it. All right. Well, I am excited for 1979. We're closing out the 1970s. Yeah. Yes. Which, Good riddance. Happy to see them go. An ugly, <laughs> ugly decade. Um, ben was just talking about the verdict, Jeff Simons. Do you remember the verdict? Paul Newman. Yeah. I remember it well. Great movie, but boy, there's some bad clothes, bad architecture, ugly cars. The cars are so ugly. Whenever I watch a 1970s movie, I'm like, did they, I mean, they weren't even <laughs> trying to design cars. They were like four wheels, engine, and then whatever metal and is left over will just surround <laughs> those parts with it. And then you could just drive your ass around in that. Yep. Like, it's just shocking how ugly yeah. they were. When I try and explain to people like, uh, thank goodness this has ended. But I mean, uh, Timmy, do you remember the uh, Irish breakfast that he has? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's playing pinball at a bar at 830 in the morning before he has trial at nine. Yeah. And the Irish breakfast is a raw egg dumped into a beer that yep. he just chugs. Yeah. Yeah. And the students are like, good Lord, did people actually do that? I'm like, well, at least it wasn't the Boilermaker. I mean, like, right. He's right. Like, he skipped some... the shot. So good news for him. He's, he's going to be crisp and clear. He's doing well. He's doing well. Uh, well, we're going to say goodbye to 1979 in style. Jeff Simons, did you get the uh, text I sent you? Once again, we have a Grammy-winning album of the year that was also the best-selling album of that year. Oh, it just and makes me... Jeff, it's just, just, <laughs> just killing me. And Jeff Simons... Here's to the and, worst of times. <laughs> oh, so bad. Um, do I get to pick the track? I think you are in the perfect headspace to pick the track. All right, I'm going to go album. with... Well, you I can do a couple. One that, I'll just do uh, the one that as I look at the first one, this is the one that I think we'll have the most fun making fun of. So we'll start with this one. Here we go. It's the Grammy winner. It's the number one album. 52nd Street by Billy Joel. Oh. I mean, are you feeling the rock and roll, Tim? This guy is a hard rocking son of a bitch. Wait, wait. Here comes. Oh, now we're grooving. Maybe a little piano right here. What do you say? Oh, <laughs> don't get too spicy. Oh, a little B3. And then bring it, Bill. She cuts you once, she cuts you twice. We just talk about that lyric yeah the woman's the wound so, is so fresh you can wound. taste the blood but you don't have the strength to leave you've been bought 
you've been sold, you've been thrown outside the door. You stand there shaking with your insides aching because you know you want some more. That's, cl- that's a classic Billy Joel love song. Like this horrible. <laughs> this is Glass Houses. What record is this? Fifty Second Street. Fifty Second. Where I believe Street. he's holding a flugelhorn on the cover. Sure, why not? In the, Who doesn't flugelhorn? In the alley of the what of is uh, what's the biggest hit off of this album? Oh, how what isn't Big Shot, My Life? Uh, I guess those are the big two. Honesty. Okay. Oh, I don't right. like that one. Stiletto, uh, Rosalinda's Eyes, Zanzibar. I actually weirdly like this record. I don't even care. <laughs> I'm looking so at weird. the track list. I'm like, I like this. It's such a weird record. It's such an angry, misogynist, self-loathing record that was a gigantic hit because people i don't know i guess that's how people felt in 1979 but like everybody thinks this is like a fun sing-along record these songs are so mean he does have the the car sounds on moving out that's always fun when you have cars no 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 dude you're going back to the stranger which i can't wait i'm going to discuss again tonight oh gosh you can't get away from the stranger so you set me up nicely for it (laughs) so Um, my my students my did i tell you my rock students gave me a fake billy joel autograph for my birthday <laughs> so amazing. It was so great. great. So funny. Why why is this the Grammy winner? Like what's going on? What is the Grammy committee, Grammy voters seeing? Uh because his first two albums weren't big successes. Has he made some sort of artistic leap? No, The Stranger was a big hit. And then yeah, Glass the Stranger Houses is, is the breakthrough. After, like, doesn't it go Strangers, Glass Houses, this record? Or no, it goes Strangers, this record, Glass Houses. What about Turnst- where's Turnstiles? Turnstiles is before The Strangers. Okay, that was okay. a not a hit. He had a series of not hits. And then The Stranger really leaped him. And then it's it's basically like, it's one of those ones where The Stranger's a better record. But 52nd Street is also good. has a bunch of, And, and, and so honestly, just to be clear, yeah. this would not even touch the 10 worst Grammy winning songs. No question. Like there's a couple yeah. of good songs on this record. And they, I mean, some of these Grammy winning songs were just jaw dropping. That being said, you will recall when we discussed Michael Jackson, he was heartbroken, heartbroken that he did not win a Grammy for off the wall, which is laugh out loud funny when he's like, if only I had done 52nd street. <laughs> you know, right? It's the same year. Like you really wish that that poor guy had been like, oh, I didn't win a Grammy, but the Grammys must suck because I, seconds, like, yeah. my record's amazing and 52nd street is not. You know, the thing that pisses me off about Billy Joel is none of these songs are bad. I mean, that's the thing that's really frustrating. It's like that great melodies fall out of that guy's head by accident and he can play and he can sing. I, I think his singing is a little bit posturing and he's like a little growly bit. He's like if the Charmin Bears son became a rock star, like he's just this like <laughs> little bear cub. Like he's like Scrappy Doo became a rock star. Like, but but he's really talented and these songs are really put together, but they just like they don't coalesce into any, like they don't mean anything to me. And I, I, that just, I just such a bummer. Like I just, he just sounds like a dick song after song on this record. You know, I don't feel for him when she's like, she cut me with her stiletto. I'm like, I'm sure she had a really good reason to do that. You know what I mean? That's a good joke. That's how I feel. What exactly did you you say to her? What part you played in the straw? I know, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, my God. That's terrible. All right. Well, that uh, there it is. That's the Grammy winner. That is the number one selling album of the year. Jeff Simons. It is not, however, the number one all selling number. 
Number one selling album of all time released in 1979. And that is Pink Floyd's The Wall. It is indeed. Have we covered Pink Floyd enough? Well, I'll just do the hot take. When does the movie come out? 82. It's not for another three years that the movie comes out. Because my record, I I mean, I had no idea it came out in 79. I thought it came out. I mean, because basically for me, when the movie came out, it was dark. Gantuit. like yeah. like it was really it was inescapable wasn't that your experience of it like yeah it was inescapable in school and there were a yeah. bunch of people who were like have you seen the movie it's amazing i was like yeah i've seen it <laughs> i can't agree on your take on that for sure it's the first time i've ever seen a guy shave his eyebrows hey. oh dude forget the eyebrows it was the nipples i still oh, have yeah, freaking so nightmares un- about him shaving so, his nipples off like so unacceptable. totally unacceptable seriously i was like I think I find that more disturbing than The Shining. Like, I mean, that was so bad. <laughs> so I I have no idea. Uh, I never saw this film. So I'm disturbed by this whole conversation, and I would like to move on. Okay. All right. It is Fair. 1979, and there is a Music for UNICEF concert that takes place at the United Nations General Assembly. Oof. And it is broadcast. Great place for a show. It is broadcast. <laughs> way, those UN people get down. One thing was a problem. Some of them were trying to jump over the, the, the rope to get in. But fortunately, you know, they had good roadies and they just kept pushing them back. Yeah, yeah. All the translators are pushing back the actual No, and also it was like really the Eritrea group. They were just yeah. completely off the hook. <laughs> so it is at the UN. It's broadcast on NBC TV from 8 to 9.30. And you guys are going to try to tell me who performed at this particular concert uh, without looking anything up. And your hint is, well, I guess there are a couple of hints. It's the late 70s. It's on NBC. And the hosts are Gilda Radner and Henry Winkler. What in the world? Go ahead, Jeff. Name a performer, band, or singer at this concert. Oh, my God. The Captain and Tennille. That's actually an excellent guess. They're not there. Sorry. Ben, what do you got? How about the Bee Gees? The Bee Gees are there. Excellent. I can't believe I might win one of these stupid things. Amazing. Uh, right. Let's play to three. Jeff Simons. If the Debbie Bee Gees Boone. Are... What? Debbie Boone. Not there. Okay. All right, I've got a Henry Winkler shout out. I'm sure I'm wrong, but I, give me Sha Na Na. Oh, that's Sha-na-na. so fantastic. <laughs> give me Sha Na Na. I won uh, so bad. Sha Na Na is not there. No. Oh, God. But Jeff, uh, if the Bee Gees are there. Are you saying another disco group is there? Earth, Wind and Fire. Earth, Wind and Fire is indeed there. Yes. One to one. They oh, might stay one to one, man. I don't even know who to get. Barry Gibb. Like, don't we get one of the Gibbs? I'm gonna give you Andy Gibb, oh, the that's little great. brother. Perfect. There, and I, I, was and I will for. guess. I'll guess the other Barry. I'll guess Barry Manilow is there. No, but if you if you follow that Barry Manilow tree to the <laughs> acoustic guitar, you might get this performer. Ooh. Timmy, while he's thinking, can I say, is it too late for me to lodge a complaint about Shanana? I feel like <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking. Why is Shanana not there with Henry Winkler announcing this? Come on now. Did you I, guys? Did, I I wondered, wondered, did Shanana have a variety show that was on for a little while? They like, were, were on they, um, 
They're on. Yeah, but it wasn't no, it was like the show, Muppet Show, it? but it was Shana Na guys instead of Muppets, and they would yeah, do like I gotta a couple think of 50s. They're they've they've got a contract with ABC or something like yeah. that. Oh, I, I think that's what got us. Yeah, yeah. All right. Good corporate law there, Tim. You ever I seen like the Woodstock you. footage of Shanana? It is the most hilarious. <laughs> what are we doing here? I've ever seen a band <laughs> experience. I, honestly, Jeff, that's how I experienced them every time. Every time I saw them, they looked like they were like, this is a puzzle. Why do yeah. people like this? I know. I know. <laughs> All right. So here's here are some people I feel you should have gotten at this uh, Music for UNICEF concert. I think you should have gotten John Denver. Oh, yeah. Oh. I think you should have gotten Olivia Newton-John. Oh, that's an obvious one. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. Boo. boo us. Um, there's a Rita Coolidge, Chris Christopherson duet. Superstar. That would have taken me a long time, Timmy. That, that's, <laughs> we would have had another one. 50 years before I came up with that combo. Uh, Donna Summer. Nice. And ABBA. Oh, wow. wow. That's a hell of nice. a lineup. And... Do you think I'm sexy? Rod, Rod Stewart Rod taking Stewart. advantage Staying relevant of the in the most unfortunate Staying way possible. Relevant, God. exactly. What a show. All right. Well, that was not uh, our invitation to cynicism. Our invitation to cynicism is going to be in the world of fictional TV, okay. episodic TV. Gentlemen, the Dukes of Hazard comes out in 1979. Their car, the General Lee had a Confederate flag painted on the roof. And it played yep. Dixie on the horn, too, in yep. case you were wondering. Did, did we miss that? Like, what? How did this in get the okay? same year, Guys, in the same year as, the, as this <laughs> debut is a little movie called The Muppet Movie that came out in 1979. Yes. And when they go to the state, then they go to the fair and meet Gonzo, everyone's holding Confederate flags. Huh. That's the little flags that all the kids are being handed out and waved to. Richard Pryor hands a Confederate flag to a kid as the balloon salesman in the Muppet movie. Does That's he say how anything about crazy it? Crazy 1979 is. No, I believe Richard Pryor would like asks for his payment in cocaine and disappears into the forest. I just finished driving my beloved older daughter Dahlia up to Haverford College. Uh huh. And you take a long drive on 81 that includes right. passing. Cooters, which yes, is a restaurant that's by Cooter. Right. Yes. And and it's co-advertised to the Dukes of Hazard Museum. And my uh, attempt to explain the Dukes of Hazard to Dahlia was just like literally like I was talking in a completely foreign language from 500 <laughs> years ago. I was like, there's this show and there's white guys. and They drive in a car <laughs> with the flag on it and they have to fight against an evil boss hog. But there's he's a like a southern gentleman short shorts. And Dahlia was like. All of these things make no sense. Like there's nothing you said. And well, then you she left was that like, Roscoe P. Coltrane. No, dude, I went on for five minutes and she was like, I hate this story. And you didn't you didn't tell me who Cooter was. And I was like, good point. Thank you. Was, that's fair. That's, that's, your, that's fair. good feedback for me. Oh, my God. Did you tell her about John Schneider? I mean, really, that's all you got to know. Yeah. John oh, Schneider. You see, what they did was they'd slide across the hood of their car when they're being chased. It was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just remember like spending most of my 20s, whenever I faced a, a difficult situation, I would say in my head, is this Duke boy going to make it? Let's wait and find out. <laughs> so, I swear to God, all right. I'm going to remember that forever, Jeff Simons, 
because I remember whenever that stupid song comes on, you walking into a gas station and finding the candy bar you want and making <laughs> what sound do you make? And don't remember. <laughs> you go, yeah. <laughs> oh, right. oh, yeah. Song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, all right. No. All right. Well, we'll, we'll figure this out later. It used to be fun. That, that made me feel good, Tim. <laughs> all right. Tough transition. Sid Vicious dies. Which is not uh, a surprise, to be honest. He's he's put away for 55 days in a detox treatment jail situation, right? I believe that's correct. And then he's released and is dead by midnight that night. Oh, is that right? I didn't yeah. know that. Uh, of a heroin overdose. I would say that it didn't take. The yeah, I was going to say, not a good, not yeah. a, not a, I don't think that's sufficient in the wall of that treatment center. Like people we've helped. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely did not have the customer appreciation from him. What did he, was he the guitarist of the band? No, he was nothing. He was the bass player, but he actually couldn't play. The Sex Pistols fire the original bass player, Glenn Matlock, for admitting in a music magazine that he liked the Beatles. Um, and also they fire him because he was the actual only musician of the band and the rest of the guys were jealous. They, they bring in Sid Vicious just because of the way he looks. And he just stood on stage and kind of whapped at the bass. Like he couldn't play it at all. Wow. Um, and he, he's actually, it's, there's a really, um, he's a, just a tragic figure of, you know, he's probably the first kind of straight fame reality TV casualty like he, his Gosh. death it anticipates like I'll go on Fear Factor and eat bugs for money. I just want to be famous. I just want to be famous. right. You know, well, that ain't good. Well, do you want to uh, hit us with your movie segment? To Ben, well, I was and I just get trying to, to help out. I was just trying to help out that. Yeah, no, I just I'm going to ask you. I, I looked. Uh, I just remember that 1979 was the year I really started going to the movies pretty regularly with my okay. parents. And I remember I saw a lot of really awful movies. Okay. So I'm going to give you the names of really successful directors. OK. And you're going to try to remember the terrible movie they made in 1979. I'm is that so fair? excited. Yeah. First up is Curtis Hansen. The man who made L.A. Confidential and a couple of other really good movies. Um, it's, an action com- it's an Dead action comedy. Dead men don't comedy. wear plaid. No, good guess. It's an action comedy where a grandfather takes his two young grandsons on a camping trip for their karate tournament. And they become involved in a kidnapping by a poor country family that lives in the woods. Wow. Uh, the I Little bet- Dragons. Oh my God. Okay. I don't remember that. What could go wrong? That sounds hilarious. My second pick is Steven Spielberg's 1979. This is 1942. 1941. 1941. That movie is awful. Hysterical Californians prepare for a Japanese invasion in the days after Pearl Harbor. John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, Treat Williams. By the way, seven of these movies have Nancy Allen in them. And when I was doing this (laughs) research, like she said, all of these movies. Unbelievable. Right. That movie is mysteriously bad. Yeah, it's right. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's the movie he made right after Jaws, too. Yeah, he could have made anything in the world, and he made that. And then actually, it's why we get Raiders. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay. Wait, why? So, nineteen forty-one was such a bomb. He actually Lucas had to get him the gig for Raiders. 
after Star Wars, the first thing George Lucas did was look out for my boy Spielberg. We've got another project. And they worked together on it. And Lucas guided him on it and put his, his career back on track. Basically, in the 70s, you'll, you all recall, they would let anybody make anything. And then it would be a huge hit. They'd be like, awesome, keep going. But then as soon as they put out a piece of crap, they would be like, well, you know, slow down there. So, yeah. 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 So Close Encounters of the Third Kind is 77, uh, which is Spielberg, which was a big hit and which is the slowest movie in the universe if oh my you're watching God. it in 2021. You're like, There's a special oh edition that God. added 30 minutes of extra footage <gasps> inside no. the spaceship. And I'm just like, how is that even possible? I, I still really be, like that movie. I yeah. really did too. And I, I talked like it up and I made, kids, I made my kids out of the mashed potato. You can't make your kids watch it. That I was made not... my kids watch it and they will never trust me again. It's It was that slow. Just okay. no patience for it. Can you name the movie that Jonathan Demi made in 1979? Uh, can you give us a little hint? It stars Roy Scheider and Janet Margolin. Oh my God, is this Blue Thunder? It is not. It is <laughs> just, Last Embrace. Call. Harry yeah. breaks down and loses his job after his wife is assassinated. Is oh. his turn next? I Roy Scheider's another great one, man. You look yep. at his IMDb after Jaws, and he could have made any movie he wanted, and it's really straight downhill. Yeah, I was going to really go and is. did it. Blue Thunder is a highlight of his post-Jaws <laughs> IMDb. Yeah. I'll just do a, quick, a couple quickly. Robert Altman made two unwatchable movies in 1979. My favorite stars Paul Newman, and it's called Quintet. During a future ice what? age, dying humanity occupies its remaining time playing a board game called Quintet. For one small group, this obsession is not enough. They play the game with living pieces and only the winner survives. Nice. This is a 138-minute R-rated film (laughs) I have never heard of. Thank you, Paul Newman. Good job. Wow. Uh, It was the year of two and a half hour unwatchable movies. The first Star Trek movie before The Wrath of Khan comes out. Um, And then uh, that's enough. But it's amazing, like um, Brian De Palma makes an unwatchable movie in 79. David Cronenberg makes another unwatchable movie. Like a lot of famous. And then this movie I need to find. It's called Golden Girl and it stars Susan Anton and James Coburn. Oh, and the, the description oh, is a neo-Nazi doctor tries <laughs> to make a superwoman of his daughter who has been specially fed, exercised, and conditioned to prepare for the Olympics. Oh my Good god, James Coburn. Where has that been my whole life? I cannot wait to watch Golden Girl. That's that a six million fantastic. dollar man spinoff, kind of. Yeah, I'll tell you what, though, one of the most uh tear, tear jerking movies ever comes out in 1979. Oh, and uh, Coming Home. No, I was thinking The Champ. Oh, Jesus, that movie with Ricky Schroeder going Rick in. Schroeder and John Voigt when he breaks oh. his fist on the cement wall. Yeah, that's un- that's un- that's unacceptable. That movie. Uh, wake up, champ. Wake up. Oh, He's not going to wake up. All right. <laughs> let's get to our three albums. Our three albums. Ben, you're up. Okay. So um, I said that there were going to be some albums that were irresistible, regardless of them. We talked about them. This is one of them. I have chosen to do no research. Jeff already covered the recording of this album. I'm going to say nothing about the recording of this album. I'm going to tell a long personal story about my memory of this album. So I grew up 
in Brooklyn, New York. And um, I guess you guys have had this exact experience probably now on the other side where your parents. I have no idea how it is that my brother and I came to be friends with these two people. And I'm going to, I'm going to just refer to this guy as my buddy. Cause I don't want to like some of the stuff that happens. I don't want to uh, stand by name. <laughs> okay. Anyhow, it's basically my recollection is like, we were friends with this family in preschool. And like, when you're a little tiny kid, it's like, there's a family friend and they have kids the same age as you. And they're just like, you're friends. And we were like, we're friends. Um, and so we like hung out and I got to be really, really, really close friends with this particular guy. And my brother was less close friends with his younger brother, but this guy was basically my best friend all the way through elementary school on into middle school. I mean, lovely time we did, we did Lego. And then when we got older, we did like computer games on the, like he had the early version of the Mac and television D and D together. I had in television. He had the, nice. um, so we were just buddies. Um, and through sixth grade, I went to public school. First to fifth grade, we went to a lovely little elementary school right there in Park Slope, which was actually kind of a medium bad neighborhood in the 70s. But this elementary school kind of held it together. Then we joined the much bigger pond of the, the middle school, IS88. And sixth grade was super rough. Like I got mugged several times. I got beaten up. They took my bus pass. They threw me down a flight of stairs. Like it was super tough to the point where my parents wow. pulled me and then my, the, my buddy's parents pulled him out and sent us to Brooklyn Friends. This is the first time I'd ever gone to public school, private school. And we went there for seventh and eighth grade. And it was a whole different experience of 70s New York. So sixth grade experience of 70s New York was like the mean streets version of, of 70s yeah. New York. Like it was just a super, super, super rough and tumble poverty stricken school with a lot of different people in it trying to get along. The Brooklyn Friends was like the 70s on steroids bunch of rich kids from um, Brooklyn Heights, some of them from Manhattan. And so I arrived in seventh grade and there were like actual cocaine parties at middle school. Like it wow. was completely off the hook. There were kids having sex. There were kids really getting into it. So, and I, I was still going by my childhood moniker of Benji. So I'm like Benji Barton. Aww. And I was like, uh, like a little pudgy baby fat kid. And I mean that both literally and figuratively, like that was what I was like. <laughs> I was still a really little kid. And one of the things that's really hard about middle school is like people age differentially. So at the same time, my buddy. So um, another thing that you remember when you're a little tiny kid is like you spend time at somebody else's house and you just expect everyone's house to be your house. You're like, mm, their mom yeah. must be my mom. Their yeah. dad will be my dad. Like all of these people will behave in the same way. And then when they're different, you're like, well, that was weird. Like I had no idea there's other people who behave in this other way. <laughs> so um, this is a bless their heart situation. My parents are passionate people. They've been married more than 50 years. Um, they're fighters. They are fighters. And they would fight all the time in front of me and my brother. They would yell at each other. But at heart for it, uh, and I don't know if my brother would agree, but there was love there. And they, they, they've stayed married. So they're proof is from the pudding. Dude, my buddy's parents would fight and there was not love there. It was oh. a really, really, really ugly 70s style fighting where they were like that the heart of their argument was hatred. Like they couldn't stand each other and they went after each other. And I'm not speculating because this occurred multiple times in front of me. In front of point you. Where, where I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm like a nine-year-old kid. And I'm like, that, that really got out of hand. Like those, like, I thought that like in houses, people like each other, but apparently in this oh, house, they don't like each other. Man. They had a really ugly divorce, super hard on my buddy. And again, this was one of those things similar to what we were saying about Springsteen with the mental health stuff. Like 
nobody talked about it. Like I didn't talk to my buddy about it. I wasn't like, that must have been really hard for you when your parents divorced. But even more importantly, I wasn't like, that must have been really hard for you when your parents screamed at each other and at you in front of me. Like that must yeah. have been a really hard thing for you. So now I'm going to get the years mixed up. Uh, London Calling comes out 79 in England, 80 in America. And so this is either summer 81 or summer 82. Uh, my, so the parents are divorced now. And because it's an ugly seventies divorce, you have to choose your, your side. So my parents stay friends with the dad. And so that's who I stay friends with. Like I'm still Ugh. over at the, the house and, uh, they're still fighting with each other. And like when the, you know, like I'm over there and he's running down the kid's mom in front of me. And he's really, really, really hard on his kids. And in particular, my buddy, he's just like yelling at my buddy and just really laying into him, like kind of great Santini style. And again, now that I'm a grown up, I'm like, I assume he went through some really hideous trauma and like he was sort of taking sure. it out on his son. Sure. Now, as a grown up, I know this is a brilliant guy at the time. He was pursuing his uh, Ph.D. in economics at Yale and he was he ended up being ABD. He couldn't finish it, which I assume was a, like now that I'm a grown up, I'm like, that must have been a really upsetting, like harrowing experience for him to not be able to finish his Ph.D. As a little kid, you're like, I had no idea, except he's just yelling at my buddy all the time in front yeah. of him. So in a stroke of what he probably thought was genius, he's like, you know, what we need, we need a family trip. So he takes my buddy and his brother over to England and I'm going to get all these details mixed up, but basically they do a six week biking trip where wow. like they start in Edinburgh and bike to London. And so he's like, this will be great. This will be a bonding experience for us. Turns out to be the opposite. So my, he's just like, they're, they're and also even like, I was in middle school and I was kind of pudgy and my buddy was like, I don't know about this at all. I was like, you're going to bike 20 miles a day with your dad is a dick. Like that's not going to work out <laughs> at all. And I'm sad to report I was right about that, except insofar as his description of the trip was my dad yelled at me a lot. And then every, every night I would leave and I go to the pub and I'd listen to punk music and I get drunk. Um, so that's suboptimal for a middle school person. It's a, and he's in middle, he's eighth grade. Yeah, right totally. Now. And I completely like, and you know how it is? Like, it wasn't like I, I did Instagram with him. I didn't text no, with him. I no, had no. no contact with this dude. He got on a plane with his dad. He went away. He came back utterly transformed. And yeah. you know, like in middle school, it's a little bit like this. Like every once in a while, like somebody will just be like, I'm, I'm a, like a 12th grader, you know, like he came back, he had like a little peach fuzz. Um, he had basically sort of kind of gone through partial puberty. He was just a really in a clearly different life stage than me. But even more importantly, he came back with a, a fake mohawk, the faux hawk. His hair was all spiky. And he, he was I was like, what is up with your hair? And he's like, oh, yeah, I, I crack raw eggs into my hair every day and stroke it up. So I've got the spiky hair. Wow. He came back with a rotating series of Sex Pistols and Clash and I guess the Damned and these other bands, all with the sleeves cut off. And he was so mad at his dad that so they lived in a, a Park Slope brownstone and his dad owned the whole building and rented out some of it. So when you do that, you break it apart into pieces, but you don't take out the stairways. The stairways sit there, but you can't you have to cover the stairways because they're, you don't want people to go in between apartments. Or my buddy literally moved out of his dad's apartment was like, I can't stand that guy. And he moved into a completely sealed in stairway. 
It was like he moved into the Harry Potter place underneath the stairs. No one except, no except a self-chosen dungeon. Not right. A, and, yeah. and, and, and so I, I, he like comes back from the trip. He's like a huge punker, like out of no, I mean, he and I were in ACDC and stuff, but I mean, he was like super into punk rock, completely changed. And he was like, come to my place now. So we go into this little thing. And I was like, this is uh, this is weird, man. Wait, like, how do you like, how do you enter it? What do you mean? He like, like he like he'd like had like a little trap door in his dad's room house where he like like pulled up some thing planks and then went down in there. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Shit. And he was like, he was like, I get I get high down here, I drink down here, and I listen to music loud down here. And I was like, I mean, I'm like a little tiny kid, and I was like, that that sounds worrisome to me. <laughs> And I'll never forget this. He, I was like, you know what, basically like, like, what about your parents? And, and again, I, I kind of regret this a little bit because I feel like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not being too hard on myself, but I, yeah. I wasn't empathetic enough. Like I actually should have been like, wow, you seem to be in a lot of pain. Like, like what's going on? Like, why would you choose to live in this windowless yeah, what's happening? by yourself getting high every day? That strikes me as maybe like, there's something you want to talk to me about. I gave him like the sort of the standard, like, you know, the don't do drugs speech, but it didn't didn't do any good at all. Anyhow, I was like, well, you know, basically like, like, what about your parents and what about school? And he was like, fuck those people. And I remember it so vividly. I was like, wait, what? Because first of all, I was like, this is a version of reality where you're just like, no, I'm just going to stop doing all the shit they tell me to do. Like, not some of it. Like, I'm out in the entire fucking project wow. of being what people tell me to be. Um, and then second, like, that was his life statement. Like, that was his actual mission statement was yeah. fuck these people. And and they meant, these people, he meant all of them. He was like, my mom, my dad, my teachers, you, fuck them all. It was amazing. Anyhow... He was like, I'm super into punk music now. And I was like, this I can see. And so I, I'm going to forget. Like, first he played me a Sex Pistols song, probably God Save the Queen. And I was like, well, that's not for me. That's that's too much. And then I think he <laughs> probably far. played me White Riot by the, the Clash. And I was like, also too much. And then I remember vividly, he was like, okay, okay, I know where you're coming from. You got to crawl before you walk. And he put on London Calling. And it was so loud, so loud, like the whole time, like we can't even talk during this. And he put on London calling the first notes of that. I was like, Oh, okay. Now, like the, 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 the really sloppy punk stuff was like at a, like at a, an instrumental and emotional register. I could not feel at all. Like I just had nothing for that material over time. I've sort of gotten a little bit warmer to it, but it still doesn't speak to my personal experience for whatever reason, London calling was like, Oh, I was locked in. That record was freaking great and amazing. I so strongly associate that record with that moment and with my buddy, like his decision, like his life choices it was really funny. Like, as you can imagine, he didn't hang out a lot with Benji Barton after that. Like, and he was fuck those people, including the popular people, but needless to say that made him way more popular. You know what I mean? Like, being <laughs> yeah. like, I don't care. And he got invited to all the cool parties. And, and it was a little bit weird because it was like, you know, he did all the stuff that I did much later. Like he got a girlfriend much before I did. He started drinking a lot before I did. He started doing drugs a lot before I did. Um, but, it, you know, it was a real sour, bad fighting against your parents type thing. Right. And uh, this brings me to The Stranger. <laughs> I have spent some time in my life being rebellious. It is true. I got in some trouble later in high school. 
um, but always with really strict guardrails. And humorously, The Stranger is basically, that's the level that I'm at. Like the moving out, if that's what you're all about, right. that's what it means, I'm not doing it. And, uh, you know, when the truth is told, you can get what you want, you can just get old. Like, that's the level of rebellion where I'm at. I just never reach my buddy's level of rebellion. But anyhow, this was the first actual punk that I knew. And he was not posturing at all. Like, he was really, really, really into the lifestyle and into it and into great dissatisfaction, I think. It's my understanding since he's like, he runs his own business in Brooklyn. He's gotten married. He he's, has a perfectly fine life. Um, but I will always, always, always associate this record with that moment. And what are we hearing? What do you want to, what do you want to give us? Cause when they kick in the front door, how are you going to come, Jeff? How are you going to come? Your hands on your head or on the trigger of your gun. London calling by the clash. Good stuff. Uh, we all have our rebellious sides, but then some can say, fuck those people. Whereas my rebellion wouldn't involve any curse words. I would stay away from that because I, I wouldn't want to get in trouble. No, your, your F word was football. I'm going out for football <laughs> as a senior at 106 pounds or whatever you were soaking wet but gosh darn it can't top that i mean ben's right this is the best record in 1979 i you know hearing you talk about it i didn't go the whole way with the mohawk and the i never i never went for the look but i definitely there was no music really probably ever in my life that made me more determined to to make my own decisions about stuff than the than punk rock like from 81 to 86 it wasn't all i listened to but it was it was it was as important to me as anything in my life was that was that punk rock music because it was justifying my ambition in a really strange way and the only way i got to do it was to hide in plain sight as somebody who wasn't it like my old man would just not he would have thrown me out of the house so i had to look like I, that wasn't who I was, but I mean, it, I was, I was living a secret double life for sure. And luckily my, it didn't get so bad with my folks that I had to go live under the stairs, but I lived, I lived an invisible second authentic life, you know, and it had like a school was fine. Thanks a lot. Yes. I'll have some more peas in front of that real life for a couple of years there. It took a while before I could put the authentic self out front. But this this record, I, I might I it's not an exaggeration. I probably listened to it a thousand times. I just love it. Yeah, and this is the good news, man. If you go backwards and count the stranger, 
I'm in a good little run here. I go through 83 or 84 before I hit a record I don't like. I'm going to be on a hot streak. That's pretty great. Jeff, do it, man. All right. So this is the last of the uh, artists who make two records in a year. The oh, 70s must be. Joe Jackson. Two- Yes, it's Joe Jackson. You're absolutely correct. All right, end of podcast. What's your What's your pick, Timmy? No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, sure. Do you want to do Joe Jackson? We see I'm your excited pick. for you. Look sharp. Go ahead. So, um, I, I Joe Jackson, I absolutely adore, and for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, the songs are great. There's these two records, Look Sharp, the first record, and um, I'm the Man, the second one, are just full of unbelievably great three and a half minute songs. They're funny and they're snarky and they're, they have great turns of phrase and they're um, there's they're um, self-effacing and they're pissed off. He runs the gamut. Joe Jackson is a really interesting story. Joe Jackson is a, um, is a kid who wakes up one day and realizes all I want to do is play music when he's like 12 years old. And uh, he's a piano player. And then he falls incredibly hard for pub and punk rock. And he's like, how the hell am I going to do this? Right. I mean, there's no piano player in the front of a pub rock, punk rock band. And so he he figures out how to position himself as like kind of a sneering, like not really punk rock, more like a pub new wave rocker. And then we'll and then in the early shows, we just run over to the piano and play it for a second and then run back up to the front of the mic. <laughs> and what's funny about that is he's a damn fine piano player. Like when he embraces the piano as the central in instrument in his music on on night and day in 82 like he's a hell of a piano player but he hit it all for the first years because and 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 unlike all the other punk rock bands he wrote all the parts for all the music all the instruments that asked the guys to play it that way like he composed these songs because he went to music school he's like do the drum fill like this and do it here and i want you to play the guitar like this and then this is what the solo should sound like um and so the guys in his band were cool enough to join a band where the front man wasn't the dynamic lead singer. He was, he was the writer and the singer and the MC and the Svengali and everything. And so there's a level of craft to look sharp. And I'm the man that um, other music, other punk music from that era, Joe Jackson gets lumped in rightly with Elvis Costello, Graham Parker, like the kind of Nick Lowe, the singer songwriter guys from that early punk movement. Um, but he, and like Elvis Costello, he's a secret, um triple threat musician pretending to be just a sneering angry teenager um and and his career is really interesting because of that but this is before joe jackson decides i need to sound completely different record to record to record and i think kind of starts to become a parody of himself on these two records he's just a a poor kid from england who's trying to make it in the music business but the secret weapon wait wait wait. can you say define triple threat there so oh like um yeah, writer, singer, producer, play multiple instruments, arranger, you know, like he's doing it all. Yeah. yeah. And he's he's got he can speak in real like Joe Strummer, as much as I love him, isn't going to get a bunch of session guys in front of him and say, OK, this is in B minor. And it's okay. we're going to you know, we're going to go over the relative minor. And I mean, he just doesn't think that way. But Jackson was a, is a is a you know, just a really well-trained musician. But okay. the secret weapon to Joe Jackson's first two records and the reason I love them so much is bass player. Graham maybe Graham maybe is the is uh you've heard Graham maybe yeah, I know don't that know name. it he's all over the place um he p- starts at Joe Jackson's band and then he kind of kind of plays with anybody he wants to that if you talk to bass players um and I, I mean I you know if you talk to bass players who who like have been playing bass a long time you ask them who are your favorite bass players 
everybody says ant whistle and everybody like there's there's guys right i whenever another and when anybody asks me who's your favorite bass player i'm like you know who i really like is grand maybe and anytime i say that and a guy's eyes light up we like all the same music and I've never met a bass player who, when you don't say Graham, maybe it's like a pass key. Like, oh, you actually really care about this instrument. Like Graham maybe belongs in the short list with Paul McCartney and Mike Mills and Entwistle and Ron Carter from the Miles Davis Quintet. He is a, he's a brilliant player. He writes brilliant. And Sting, he belongs on that list. He writes brilliant parts and he brings a level of energy and propulsion and chops to the Joe Jackson band that no other punk band has. And, um, all these songs are propelled by his unbelievably percussive, sharp playing. And because it's just a trio most of the time, because the guitar player is playing mostly chords, maybe acts almost like a lead instrument on some songs. So before I play like my, my favorite song, I just want to play you a little bit of Grand Maybe at Work. Yeah, please. On uh, Got the Time, which is the last song on Look Sharp. And it's kind of... Uh, it's the equivalent of like a punk rock records, like Freebird. It actually has a bass solo in it, but it's just, the guy is so good. I just want to play a little bit of it here. And then, and then I'll play you what's my current favorite Joe Jackson song. They're so, so fun. fun. This is a really so fun, fun band. But my favorite song right now, for no reason whatsoever, is the last song on I'm the Man. It's called Friday. And it's just a little throwaway song, but it gives you a great sense of, of what this band was trying. The band's trying to, to take the energy of punk rock and the craftsmanship of pop songwriting and push it through this kind of new wave, the sound of its moments, right? So there's there's a lot of reggae in it. There's a lot of scratchy guitar. There's a lot of buzzing. And then Jackson just, I, 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 he, like I was just giving all this shit to Billy Joel for not being believable. I believe Joe Jackson. Like, I believe these are songs that are, that are resonant with him and speak to how he feels about things. Friday's a great song about just working a crap job and just waiting for the weekend. And it's the angry punk rock version of here comes the weekend or it's Saturday night and I just got paid. And uh, I just love it. So here's Friday from one of two awesome records from 79 from Joe Jackson. Look Sharp and I'm the Man by Joe Jackson.
So it kind of sounds a little bit like Ben Folds, doesn't he? Yeah, there's a lot of Joe Jackson and Ben Folds. That's good. That's good. But and um, they sound like they sound like the police. They sound like I mean, they you know, there's a this there was a moment here where this like this kind of hyper up tempo amphetamine fueled you know pop rock is called punk rock and new yeah. wave but uh it probably doesn't it's probably incorrectly lumped in there in that regard i mean like three years later the guy's singing breaking us in two like he's not a punk rocker by any stretch but <laughs> i but he, he <laughs> uh, these right i just love these records i used to own i'm the man as in a collection that was five seven inch singles it was an incredible pain in the ass to listen to but it really <laughs> captured for me with this record it's the attempt to write 10 hit singles really like both these songs both these records is not a single song that it, you could call an album track they're all yeah. reach out and grab you like we want this to be as hooky as we can and, and is she really going out with him on one of these two albums yeah it's on look sharp i mean that's not you know kind of hyper fast or anything like that it's just a but i believe him in that oh, it's song. funny too it's, a it's funny, funny. Song. yeah but it also gets you because you're not the gorilla. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know. Uh, ben Barton, you didn't like Graham Nash. You're Parker. out on um, Nick Lowe. I also don't like Graham Nash, but it was Graham Parker who I didn't like. It's <laughs> a good point. That's a good point. You're out on a lot of Lou Graham. You're out on Lou Graham. I don't. Big time. <laughs> Thank you for that, Timmy. Where, where do you land with Joe Jackson? So Elvis Costello was the gold standard in this area. And Elvis Costello has put out a record or two records in the last 10 years that I was like, wow, yeah. I really enjoyed that. Oliver's That's not the case for Joe Jackson. Oh. That being said, Joe Jackson is, is right there in the B category here and well okay. above Nick Lowe. Yeah. No, this stuff is great. These, these two records are great. The night and day has got several good songs on it. Um, the songs are catchier and the players are better. And in particular, like Jeff's right. That did you just, if you feel like it, go back and listen to how repulsive that bass is. And also how humorous it is. The bass solo was just more bass. You know what I mean? Like he's not <laughs> yeah. trying to make it sound like a guitar. He's not doing like the um, like the Van Halen bass solo. No. He's actually just filling it in. Um, and I am a huge sucker for bass-driven songs with tasty guitar parts on top of it, which means I like these records. Like that's what yeah. those, these records sound like. Um, and I agree. Like I actually, it's, uh, Jeff, what happened to him, man? Why? What, what went wrong? Yeah, I really don't know. Like he, you know, he made a uh, big world in 1986, which I thought was a really underrated record, but it's stiffed. And he went from playing Meriwether Post Pavilion to like he went from the sheds to the theaters. Yeah. And then he and then he 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 made a really bad record in 1992 called Laughter and Lust, which looked like the cover was ugly. This It wasn't a good record had like two good songs on it. And then he just disappeared for like six years. And now he makes a record like every seven years. And they're, they're all the wrong influences. Like they're super musical and there's lots of diminished chords and he doesn't get any, he doesn't, he doesn't kick up a racket. I saw, I saw the Joe Jackson band with Graham. Maybe they played hardly strictly when the Megan band played it. So I had like the artist pass. And I, I, I embarrassingly accosted Graham maybe backstage and like, you know, I gave him maybe 30 seconds to cool off. I was like, you're Graham maybe. And like, I love you playing. Like, it was not my finest moment, uh, but, but they, you know, the whole band was great. And they're playing all those old great songs. And uh, Jackson just seemed really tired. Like, I don't know. Like he looked really old too. He aged dramatically 
in the 2000s. So I, I don't know what's going on, but I, he I've been disappointed. Like I keep waiting. I was really hoping he reunited the original quartet and made a record called volume four in 2004. And it was all three minute songs. And I was so excited. And it just, he just lost the touch. Mm-hmm. None of the songs are memorable. And none of them had this like just undeniable catchy edge to them. Cause you, I mean, you're a much bigger Elvis Costello fan than I am, but you agree with me. Right. I mean, like, he, he continues to pump out medium oh, yeah. interesting stuff. I mean, it's not all good, but I mean, it's no, it's but really you good. Can, you can anticipate it being good. You can hope for goodness. There's no, we're beyond that with, uh, in and fact, Costello will wander like, uh, it's not in the two thousands, but 13 steps lead down. Like, yeah, that's he'll, 94. He'll yeah. break out a rocker. You know what I yeah. mean? Like he'll go ahead and just go old school and then yep. bring it back and then do weird orchestral stuff. But he at least keeps that mix alive. Um, I don't know. Like I, I actually, I guess I never listened to I, I feel like I listened to the record that was in the mid eighties with the, the one that you said was underrated. I don't I remember that being properly rated. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> after that, I mean, good Lord, he just completely dropped off. Yeah. No, I agree. All right. Well, you guys have done well. I, I, I think you're on to something with Joe Jackson. I think you're on to something with the clash. Um, but you came up short in 1979 because I have the best album of 1979. And I know you guys look down on me. I, I can feel it. I can see it through the zoom camera. You Jimmy, guys... you're in a freaking basement, man. Like you live in a basement. We can't help yeah. but look down. <laughs> and you're looking down musically at me because I don't, uh, I don't know, play an instrument. I don't know what a, what'd you say, a minor chord or. For those of you listening to this whining chord. at home, Timmy is using air quotes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I would just like you guys to remember that even the losers. Get uh, lucky sometimes. Oh, Come on now. Let's go a little damn the torpedoes, Jeff Simons, with my favorite song, which I bet you don't know what my favorite song is. I'm going to guess it's Shadow of a Doubt. Holy shit, you do know what my favorite song amazing. is. Go, yeah. baby, go. Come on, man. Damn the Torpedoes by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. <laughs> Here comes my girl, even the losers. 
don't do me like that. I mean, it is nonstop on this album. And what you guys were, um, you were breaking down Jeff Lynn's production of Tom Petty as if it was like shiny and, and there's no surprises and no urgency. And, and this particular album has all those kind of fun oh, yeah. little Tom Petty moments where Tom yeah. Petty just gets to be Tom Petty. This uh, is Jimmy Iovine producing. It's yeah. a whole different universe. Yeah. Whole different what universe. What is your favorite song on this record? My favorite song? Oh, here comes my girl. <laughs> That's your favorite song? Yeah. What do you think mine is? Uh, oh, gosh. Well, Wait, guessing- pause, 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 pause. Don't answer that. Give me a little bit of Here Comes My Girl. Even the losers is that your favorite? I was gonna say refugee. Don't do me like that. Oh, That's great. Really? I thought it would be too Two poppy for you. Minutes forty three seconds really... in out. Perfect. Perfect. Perfect song. Perfect song. You know, I was just gonna say like the reason I know that Shadow of a Doubt is Timmy's favorite is just because it's the version of romance that Tim would like to believe is the case for everyone. Right? <laughs> it's the sweetest song on the record. Like. When she's sleeping, <laughs> she often dreams in French, but when she wakes oh. up, she don't remember it. You know, like oh. I just like I I and, and refugees too hard for Tim. We've got oh, wait, yeah. totally agree. Yeah. We scary. both know it. Scary. We don't talk too much about it. Tim's a talker, you know, and then there's too much of um there's too much of a like uh strutting down the street for here like that watch a walk would make him a little oh, uncomfortable yeah, yeah. for sure comes no, my no. Girl. and also so, mumbling there's too much mumbling yeah. i love the mumbling give me, uh, God. give me 15 seconds and don't do me like that this is so great Don't stop there. It's gonna be. I mean, <laughs> don't I love him so. <laughs> so turn around, let him go. Oh, oh good, so perfect. Good. Oh, and, uh, so, I mean, basically, the record's great. I don't have any beef with this record at all. But I, there's a special place in my heart for the two minute forty three second pop yes. song. That's just like, and also like, it's 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 similar to a great comedy movie where it appears effortless. Yeah, they're like he must just crap these songs out. Like it must yeah. just be the easiest thing in the world for him. Like he must have written this like in ten minutes. But then when you examine it a little bit more, you're like, uh, it's so constructed. Like every there's not a missing second, not yeah. a missing note. Dude, every that bridge, word is perfect. that bridge when it goes to the C minor oh, to get to the dude. D seven to get back to the yes. G. And you know how this ended up on the record, right? This is a great story. They're they're done. Like they've done all the like they've track what they think is going to be the record and Iovine goes out to get a sandwich or something and they're getting loose and he's like oh let's play don't let me like that which is an old mud crutch song from yep. 1971 and Iovine comes in and is like um what was that he's like oh we're just screwing around he's like you were doing what now he's like oh, this is a song I wrote when <laughs> who shot who and what now <laughs> and he's like no 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 that's that's the fucking song <laughs> go back and then he makes them record it and they're like no that's old that's not what we want to do I, I can't even believe that that song was almost lost to history yeah unbelievable so great yeah because 
other artists would kind of get in the way. It's like, you know what? Let's make it three minutes and 10 seconds. And then it's like, well, no, you've lost it. No when to get out. That's a great uh, record. Of your great, own great choice, Tim. Well done, Timmy. All right. So, uh, Ben Barton, I'm going to give you homework. It is uh, tomorrow, September 1st. You are a writer, are you not? <laughs> yes, you are. To write a thing I am going to give you till Thanksgiving to write the short story of the boy in the stairwell clash version not harry potter version i want to i want to read that story that you told tonight jeff simons would you read that story oh well, i read anything ben writes i i've read his law books so of course i'd read it <laughs> dear god <laughs> you are a friend i'm just kidding can what? i shamelessly self-promote here yes. at the end of the time tell uh, me my, i'm dropping a new single uh september 10th which is going to be like two days after we drop this podcast i believe right because okay. it's going to come out on the 8th so two days from now, you can listen to my new single, Emily. There's a video. There's All a, right. There's a new single, and you can pre-save it on Spotify. And uh, I, I'm going to do we'll that right see. now. Emily. Uh, go. And well, it, comes not, out to, it comes September out September 10th. Um, a week from this. Uh, well, it's September 10th. So Friday, September 10th. So, so meanwhile, you're. Your big concert is September 30th, right? Correct. Kind currently of a record still on, currently still happening. We'll a record release Delta party, Varian. if you will. Yep. Yep. So, so there there there's talk of flying out to California for that gig. Um what would you think? Would you would you be weirded out if Are your you podcast kidding? partners were in the Are audience? Are you kidding? First of all, we'll do a podcast live together when you're here, which would be amazing. <laughs> that would be so fun. And then, second of all, yeah, you, I'll put you up. Well, I'd be I'd be put, beyond put honored. Put us up you on can stage. Record, you can like report live from it. Like, hey, we're in the back, and it's oh, not yeah, going no, super sure. well. <laughs> I cannot wait to sing backing vocals. This is going to be so much fun. That will be good. We're getting the band back together. Let's go. <laughs> when Very do we nice. have it together? All right, gentlemen. I will Timmy, see you well all. done as always, Later. my friends. Hey, friends, I'm so sorry you're not going to be partying at Bonnaroo this weekend. I was I so know. excited to hear about it. We'll, um, Indeed. Yeah. June 2022, I'll be there. As soon as they have that, that, that thing, I'm going to be there. I don't well, care. in June, I got, I mean, I, I'm in for June. Oh, all right. Peace out. Thanks for listening to 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys here on the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network. If you like this one, go ahead and give us a review at iTunes and check us out on Twitter and Facebook. Peace. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid. Hey guys, it's 
Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Cast Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music.